Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Seed Sky, episode 26. This uh, episode kind of just came through as a bit of sporadic inspiration, considering that over the next uh, two episodes, uh, which I was going to be able to cover over the next month, I was pretty lined up well in the sense that I would have been able to finally make clothes on all the series that I'd watched inside of the spring 2021 anime season, and then leading into what I was hopeful, expecting of, and the new shows that were going to be coming out in the summer of 2021. But at this point in time, as of yesterday, there was a recent press conference or just a live stream event which was going to be celebrating Studio Mappa's 10th anniversary, leading into a handful of new projects that they were going to be coming out with, what the essential next 18 months of their schedules are going to be looking at down the line, and what everybody is definitely curious about and looking forward to for a handful of adaptations that have already been in the woodwork, but have finally been able to give a bit of a trailer and form for something to actually look forward to in the present. But before we get into that, I might as well just go for a handful of uh, news pieces and announcements that have happened over the past week or so between June of 20th and the 27th. So I guess considering leading off from uh, last week's episode, we can go through with a handful of movie news in the sense that High Dive is going to be adding Maiden Abyss's third film, Dawn of the Deep Soul, coming over through onto their streaming service on June 28th with both an English subbed and dubbed versions. Now, this is the third film of a trilogy of films, only the first two of which were recaps, so there's not necessarily much that you need to go through and find those previously, although I wouldn't be surprised if they would have added those to their catalog as well, but considering that this was a sequel film, their third one, Dawn of the Deep Soul, is a sequel film to the animated series that came out back in 2017. And the first time I was able to watch this was back in the summer of last year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, considering that Sentai Filmworks was able to, in the middle of the pandemic, where none of us were able to go and have the opportunity to see this in theaters, which is definitely something that I would have been able to <laughs> if I had the opportunity to choose, but we were able to go through and you were able to rent this for 48 hours for 20 bucks, in the sense that it wasn't the best deal if it w you were just watching this on your own. But if you were somehow watching this with a group or family, which would have definitely been a little more difficult considering that this was in the middle of the pandemic, you would have been able to save a bit of money. But regardless of the fact, the movie in of itself shone just as bright as its predecessor did in terms of what they were able to go through, how dark and disturbing we were able to go through with our interactions and conflict with Bondrood, and how they were able to move forward with the story, and what kind of consequences were led after these events going through this film. And so if you have seen the first Maiden Abyss season, considering that the second season has already been announced and it will come out sometime around late next year or sometime in 2023, I would definitely recommend going through and giving this a watch, considering that even though this is going to be coming down through the pipeline just on High Dive, it's definitely going to be priority reading material in order for you to continue on with the story. And then a film that is going to be getting another re-release in U.S. theaters, which unfortunately is not going to be coming up to Canada, but I was able to get through and watch this on Funimation's site, which was the third Fate Stay Night film for Heaven's Feel. And so you are going to be getting two days in the States to go back and re-experience this in the theaters, which I definitely recommend considering that any, watching any of you Foldables productions with a big setup and sound system <laughs> leading through to accompany the films beside it is definitely worth the, just the price of admission alone. So that's going to be going through U.S. theaters on July 18th and 20th, and then after that for streaming, which I have no real... Uh, expectations for this at all, which is basically a film that is going to be streaming exclusively on Netflix, is called Worms Bubble Up Like Soda Pops. And that is going to be released on Netflix July 22nd, worldwide. 
And so this original film is mostly just commemorating the 10th anniversary, just like MAPPA, of Victor Entertainment's animation and production subsidiary Flying Dog, considering that they've done work on Your Lie in April and directing Signal MD and Sublimination, who is going to be directing the show. Movie, sorry. And the one who's going to be hitting the screenplay is going to be Daisato, who is notable for Eureka 7, Wolf's Reign, Samurai Champloo, and even Cowboy Bebop. So... It definitely just doesn't seem like too grandiose of a production or nothing that has any essential hype behind it, but it kind of seems like it, it It looks like a pretty fun adaptation. And I'm really curious to see what they're actually going to be able to do and how this film is even going to go through. And then speaking of Made in Abyss, somehow Columbia Pictures have ordered the film script of the Made in Abyss manga. This is going to become a live-action adaptation with Low Tide's Kevin McCulkin adopting the manga with Death Note producers of Vertigo Entertainment and Masioka. I have no idea how they are going to adapt this into a live-action series. Definitely not with children. Um, it's There's still enough dark content to go through with these characters, especially for the first half of the series. I'm pretty sure before it gets dark dark they'll be able to go through a full two hour or so film just covering the world and the characters i don't know if they're going to be pushing this through a a sort of like a young adult novel and have children starring in the role even though we definitely know that children are the ones that mostly inhabit this world and they are going to be the ones that are going to be taking the dive into the abyss while we don't have to but i have no expectations at all. Like, I have absolutely no... Like, it's it's the same deal with somehow um, I think J.J. Abrams is supposed to be directing a live-action Your Name film, and so it's just... I, it, it just kind of really caught me off guard in the sense that how is this going to translate? How is this even going to have any sort of pos- uh, possible positive notoriety and acclaim leading into the series when the original is already just as good and is in no need for an extra adaptation? So I have literally no idea how that's going to be moving forward, but I guess that's going to be just something to be curious about in around the mid-2020s. And then I guess leading into what happened this Sunday, which I talked about earlier, which was going to be the topic of this entire episode, the Animation Studio Mappa revealed a lot of promotional videos and supplementary material during its 10th anniversary livestream that happened on Sunday in coordination with Bandai Namco Arts. So, one of the projects that they went through is Tact OP, or Tact Opus, which is how they're, <laughs> which is how they're basically pronouncing it. Uh, this animated series is going to be, um, premiering on October 5th, so this is going to be the fall season of this year. I don't know, it looked like a relatively interesting action flick going through with a lot of opus and looks like at least through the pre- the PB that the main character is a bit of a conductor in of himself. I don't know how that's going to be re- translating into the action or the magic if there is any uh, semblance of a system inside this world, but I have no idea. And that's only just step one to kind of just show what MAPPA was able to release. Another one of their major projects that they went through is going to be through, uh, what's the English title for this? Alice and Teresa's Illusory Factory. And so this is going to be a film with music by Masaru Yokohama, which is going to be the same deal with Makia and Her Blue Sky. But this, in this case, is going to be written by Mario Kata and is going to be an original anime film that doesn't have a release date scheduled yet. But I would imagine it's probably going to be popping up sometime around late next year or the beginning of 2023. And so it's kind of 
still something that's going to garner my interest, considering that the last time we were able to go through and see a Mario Kata, like, original directorial and writing debut would have been with Makia Secret of Flowers, I think, uh, Flowers or something, but I thought it was good. It was definitely, like, something that was more than worth its while to go through, and it definitely seems like it's really weird. Like, you have absolutely no idea what this PV is, or preview in this case, has given you in terms of information. All you know is that a girl's in a wedding dress and she's somehow going to die at some point. So it's Mario Kata. Melodrama is definitely going to follow, and I'm really curious to see how that's going to translate once that comes out within the next 18 to 24 months. And then, the biggest preview that they were able to go through, which only had a one-minute trailer at the very end of the presentation in the live stream, you fi we finally ended up getting a piece of the Chainsaw Man anime released through this trailer. And I don't want to be this hype. I don't. I don't want to raise my expectations in any degree. I don't want to, like, keep pushing through the hype train and trying to get as many many people on board to watch this once it ends up coming out either the fall of this year or winter of next year. But this trailer made it incredibly difficult for someone such as myself and many others that have already read the manga. And my relationship with this series is definitely interesting considering that it was one of the first of these manga that I ended up picking up within the second chapter. I'm pretty sure it was week two that I was able to go through and start reading this, considering that it was just so out of nowhere and vulgar and bombastic in its only introductory chapter. And so Fujimoto, who is the author of this manga, recently did, or not recently, he did a previous manga called Fire Punch, which is almost just as notable as Chainsaw Man, even though I haven't been able to give it an opportunity to go read it. But if there's anything that's that's probably going to be one of the next, like, things that I'm going to be going through, just to kind of get a sense of what, like, came before Chainsaw Man, as it was the series that he premiered and wrote before he ended up starting the publication of Chainsaw Man. But in terms of the PV itself, so Ryu Na Nakayama, who has done Black Clover and episode direction on a handful of episodes for Jujutsu Kaisen is going to be the head director of the series. And someone who's going to help with script writing is Hiroyoshi Seiko, who also helped along with Ajin and Attack on Titan's final season. And the one that I'm really curious about, especially when it comes to the sound and the music that is going to be accompanying most of this, is going to be Kensuke Ushio, who put his work into Devilman Crybaby, Liz and the Bluebird, A Silent Voice, and even Ping Pong the Animation. This is a stacked cast of people who are going through and helping with this project, and it is possibly going to be MAPPA's biggest to date, probably even surpassing Attack on Titan's final season, as well as Jujutsu Kaisen, because at least with Jujutsu, it was their first season, and they were the ones originally adapting the series, whereas with Attack on Titan, they were the ones that were picking up the slack and covering for Studio Wit, who didn't have the time or had any, like, semblance of reason to go through and finish the final season, which is where MAPPA had to step in. So, Chainsaw Man, I think, has the potential to be a bigger hit than Jujutsu Kaisen, considering that with, with Jujutsu, with JJK, there was not much expectation. There were a lot of people that really enjoyed the manga, but it wasn't until the adaptation and Jung Ang Sung Ho Pa, considering that he, his directorial debut with God of High School, immediately following up with Jujutsu Kaisen and putting his own spin with 
action direction and martial arts and incorporating that into the adaptation in of itself was more than enough to bring it up to the forefront and be like essentially the second highest raker of manga sales just only coming second to demon slayer which is definitely much more of a harder wall to climb but i'm extremely curious and that is the highest i'm going to set my expectations i'm curious as to how this adaptation gets handled I'm considering that it has potential, but I could see it going both ways, and I really don't want Chainsaw Man to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, especially when it comes to MAPPA and the production schedule, which we will get into later. But this is essentially what I wanted to start out with, considering that with all of these projects that are going through and what MAPPA is looking like, especially after their tumultuous and varied history especially with what happened in 2020 and like leading through to kind of see what it means for them in the future and what positive light if any that they have to look forward to in terms of how their productions are going to be managed over the next 18 months so at least i can begin with how this entire thing started so MAPPA was helmed and created by a man named Masao Mariyama. And so, my man's old. He started in the anime industry in 1963 with Mushi Productions and ended up joining up a studio called Madhouse, which throughout the 80s and 90s created some of the most bombastic and creative experiences of animation to date in inside the entirety of the origin and the age of the OVA, as well as doing a handful of fantastic productions leading in through the 2000s and the 2010s, even though with a handful of them being tumultuous, but still stuff actually being able to get their point across and having still varying levels of quality, but still coming through with being able to put the creator at the forefront without having to sacrifice too much creative liberties and freedom to the majority of the companies that were helming and financing the projects which unfortunately started waning by the end of the 2000s, which is why at that point Masao Mariyama ended up leaving with a handful of producers kind of like Mamoru Hosoda, who ended up making his own studio Chizu in order to finish his own movie, which was Amen Yugi Bolt Children, which then led through as well as Masaki Iwasa, who ended up going through and making his own studio Science Saru, and with Masao Mariyama doing his same thing in 2011, forming Studio Mappa. And so, with that ridiculous swerve and change inside of the industry, he was able to go through and cross off one of his uh, opportunities to go through and create a project, their first project with director Shinichiro Watanabe in the form of Kids on the Slope. The only asterisk being... Watanabe would bring on a producer that would help MAPPA inside of its uh, formative years and would definitely help them in the near future, which would get a little bit different in terms of their jobs leading into the end of the 2010s. But before that, uh, Manabu Otsuka was the one that helped, you know, produce and market the series to try and at least make some sort of money and get something out of this first original project that they were able to go through. So they lead forward with an original project with Kids on the Slope in 2012, as well as a handful of seasons for the comedy series Take You. And then following in 2013, they continue on with the long-running anime and manga series in the form of Hajime no Ippo, having its quote-unquote third season being Rising, which was also co-produced with Madhouse. And so they're doing a really good job leading into not only doing old ongoing series, but leading on with a handful of original stuff as well. Going through with 2014, bringing Shinichiro Watanabe back to the forefront with doing Terran Resonance. 
as well as making his own uh, project called Garo, the Carved Seal of the Flames, which is one of the only series inside of MAPPA's catalog that I still haven't watched yet. But in terms of the ridiculous CG fights that I was able to at least go through with a handful of clips, it is quite the spectacle, not only in 3D, but as well as the 2D sword fights that go through and continuously clash our characters. And then in, term of t in terms of 2D sword fights as well, with a little bit of magic thrown in, they ended up getting a adaptation on one of Psy Games productions called Rage of Bahamut, which was originally a mobile game, and in that sense they were able to go through and use a handful of characters and inspiration from the game, but what they were able to create with Rage of Bahamut Genesis was so much more of an original sort of feel, but only using the game as kind of like a baseline to go through and go wild with their creative freedoms. And it was an incredible production, as well as an incredibly fun, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings-style fantasy adventure. And it was an incredibly fun series to go through and watch over the course of its run. And thankfully, 2014, which is the year that it was aired, was definitely the turning point, considering that at that point in time, Psy Games, who were the ones that uh, helped fund the production of Genesis, considering it was one of their games, Games, helped them for a handful of years afterwards just to kind of go through and continue their relationship with the company, which was honestly fantastic. And then leading into a handful of uh, original series and adaptations as well, Manabu Otsuka over the course of the next couple of years would help go through and produce one of the more long-running but flagship titles of Studio Mappa in terms of Yuri on Ice in 2016, Banana Fish in 2017, and Zombieland Saga in 2018. They were on a really good run for a handful of these years. I mean, in the case of 2015, you had two pieces of original work, one being a sequel to Garo, and another one being an, a really raunchy, etchy, action mecha comedy in the form of Punchline. Which was fucking wild, dude. Like, you gotta give that a shot. As well as, the same deal, jumping back into a really early manga title in the form of Ushio and Tora. Which is a manga that's pretty out of date, and I still had to drop it and go back to it, like, later in the future when I was halfway through, because it really wasn't hitting well with me. But leading but leading on to that middling year inside of 2015, they definitely hit it with 2016 in, in the term of Yuri on Ice, becoming, at the time, the third highest Blu-ray sales of all time. Except this was around the point near the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016 where it seemed like Masao Mariyama as the president wasn't really feeling positive about the future of the company, considering that in their terms, this was around the time that they were getting more and more productions lining up with less and less freedom being attributed to the creators and the ones who were actually going to be adapting and, and actually making all of these series. And so Masao Maruyama steps down as the president of the company in 2016 and goes forward and makes another new studio, Studio M2, which to this date only has one animated series and one film, and both of which are, uh, sorry, one of which is Onihei, which is a classic novel series, and then the other one is another Garo adaptation. With one manga adaptation between Naoki Urasawa and Osamu Tezuka's uh, creative project, Pluto, still being in the works, still haven't been able to find the time for any of which of this is going to go through, but it is an incredibly classic manga that has been waiting to still go through and has its chance to finish its production and adaptation. And so in the middle of 2015 and 2016, we end up getting all these productions going through, and with the replacement of Masa <laughs> with the replacement of Masao Mariyama being Manabu Otsuka, the same producer who is now the president 
executive director and CEO of the company. And so leading into being the president of the work, because of his producer's mindset, he was definitely, he was the one that was already greenlighting all these series. But now that he's the one at the flag at the top of the mountain of this production company, there was only going to be more and more and more productions coming through and coming down into. So we get 2016, we get Yuri on Ice, even though it was stretched out with production issues leading into the last half of the series, it becomes a massive hit. Leading into 2017, they go to six productions and six projects in just one year, which was outdoing everything that they did in 2015 and 2016. And so they had a random bit with idol incidents, they had a sequel for Rage of Bahamut, they did a manga adaptation in Kakegurui, they did a manga adaptation in Altair, they continuously did a third season of Garo, and they finished it with another manga adaptation in the form of Inuyashiki. Six projects in one year for a company that is in the middle of an expansion, and we're not done. We're going to take a little bit of a dip, considering that... The majority of the projects that they had going through the line were going to be pushed over into the next year, which in this case was going to be Banana Fish and Zombieland Saga. Now, I will admit that Manabu did a really good job at least pitching these towards the companies because these were two very hard sells in order to get into it. One which is a classic shoujo series, and the other one which was essentially just a an original idol show. And both of them did their jobs perfectly. It was Honestly, fantastic in the ways that these two were being made. And then we get five more projects leading into 2019. With Dororo, Kakegurui's second season, an original work in the form of Sarazanmai, who was directed by Kaneki Kuhara, to The Abandoned Sacred Beasts, which was based on another manga, as well as Grand Blue Fantasy getting a second season based on the original Grand Blue Fantasy video game. And the thing is, is that the only original work that they had here, which in case was Sarazanmai, it was mostly co-produced with Lopintrack, with Lopintrack doing the vast majority of the adaptation and the production bits. Essentially, Mappa was just brought on as a secondary and didn't really do them, didn't even do half of the work. They were basically just brought in for covering on a handful of pieces considering that they were co-signed onto the project. And so as the majority of these go through, with a handful of them suffering production issues through the half of the season, and a lot of them having <laughs> to bring in outsourcing workers as soon as episode two, it got ridiculous. And then the, <laughs> the way that MAPPA essentially came onto the map in the sense of 2020 was not a way that I would have wished upon any other studio to go through but in this case, regardless, they got popular, and they were still able to get through a lot of good productions in that case. Some of which that weren't. Uh, have you seen my, have you seen my mountain? Listeners, The God of High School, Mr. Love and Justice, The Gymnastic Samurai, all of these I can kind of give a little bit of a middling round with none of which I've seen, but Gymnastic Samurai is definitely the one that has the most positive notes out of all of them. Actually, no, God of High School I, wa I ended up watching, and it was just kind of like really good action with absolutely no substance, and the action wasn't good enough to pretty much push it up through the echelon and cover the majority of the problems, but it definitely wasn't there. The one that I enjoyed the most other production, which was based on a manga that they ended up getting sent over to Netflix, was Dorohedoro. And even though the vast majority of it is CG... The style and the background of this show is more than enough 
on its own to cover for the CG and make it seem a lot more natural and a much easier sell to get into it. And I would definitely recommend that as being possibly my favorite show of last year of theirs. But then, of course, the two major ones that brought MAPPA to the forefront of the entire animation industry and definitely worldwide would definitely be the case of Attack on Titan's final season being the most popular animated adaptation inside of the United States, even by the end of 2020. They only had, I'm pretty sure, they had one or two episodes premiere on December. Actually, no, sorry. It was a 15-episode series, so they were able to start earlier than the majority of the shows that were going to be popping up in the winter 2021 season. It was the most popular show of 2020, and then leading into a hit that nobody expected to happen and had no reason to be any <laughs> anywhere close to being as good as it was, was Jujutsu Kaisen, which is right now currently one of my favorite shonens, and it is a really good series in terms of not only the production, but how well the story has been able to incorporate present and past shonen elements that have been able to go through and evolve and adapt over the past couple of years. I've got nothing but shining praise to Jujutsu Kaisen, and the same deal with Attack on Titan. I understood that considering that they were the only ones daring enough, and when I say daring enough, I mean literally with a gun to their head, hey, guess what? We're going to be jumping onto the Attack on Titan final season production schedule, and we're going to be the ones producing the final season. Does anybody have any objections? No? Well, guess what? You cannot leave. You literally cannot leave, and you are going to be finishing this production because it's, it is so fucking horrifying that nobody, no other studio was ever even thinking of going through, even with Studio Wit just trying to go and do something different because they just wanted to be rid of the Attack on Titan Monica, even with how successful it was. And so I have nothing but praise for the animators considering that what they were able to accomplish with the first half of this final season, which the second half is going to be popping up with us in terms of uh, winter 2022 next year. I'm really curious to see how this series ends, but I have nothing but praise for these animators and everybody revolved around this production considering that I could, I, I, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine how fucking hellish this piece of media was, <laughs> um, was able to adapt and be like thrust upon. It was absolutely ridiculous. And so I liked, really liked both of these series. But now we are heading up to present day. Zombieland Saga's second season just finished. I thought it was good. And leading into why I wanted to talk about this, considering that this was basically what their roadmap was for the next 18 months, it had me more worried than I had ever been about this studio, considering that I had only recognized how horrifying the production schedule and how horrifying the workplace environment was at Studio Mappa only a handful of months ago, when in reality they have essentially been going through this kind of hellish production over the past four years but it's only been brought to late as of now. So I'm going to put this into perspective. Zombieland Saga just finished, but the amount of series that MAPPA has in production goes as follows. The handful of ones that just ended up getting announced uh, through their 10th anniversary. Remain, which is going to be coming out next season. Eden and Deities, which is going to be also coming through next season, leading into Tactop, which is going to be leading through the fall of this year, on top of Chainsaw Man, which is going to be either this fall or next winter. And speaking of next winter, Attack on Titans Final Season Part 2, who's going to be, like, putting out and finally concluding the entire franchise after, let's see, nine years, which is really going to be interesting to watch. And then on top of that, they've got the Jujutsu Kaisen origin film, 
which is the prequel to the entire series, which is also going to be translated into a movie. The Alice and Teresa's Illusion Factory, which is just, which in the same deal, just got announced over through the 10th year anniversary livestream, which is another film. And then another film that has been in the works since bloody 2018, the Yuri on Ice sequel movie, Ice Adolescence. Eight projects. I want to put that in huge, bold, italic, expanded, and like, expletive terms. Eight projects are currently in the works for this studio, and those eight projects are going to be coming out within the next 24 months. Within the next two years. This is this is what essentially has me concerned, considering that on top of the rest of the anime industry being on what I believe is a bubble, with the demand and the profitability of anime being the highest it's ever been, but with the declining workforce and the extensive burnout of the majority of these creators going at a faster and faster rate, we are essentially reaching the supply and demand axis and flying right past it, much quicker than anybody else would have expected. And this is just one of the major studios that has been going through. I can't stay and I can't jump into, which is probably another topic for another video or another, <laughs> sorry, another podcast episode about how ridiculously overstacked the majority of these films and the majority of these anime studios have been. And it's reaching a fever pitch, which I believe is going to come to a head at some point in the 2020s, considering that there is a vast difference in terms of the production and the staff that have been able to go through and work in this industry through the 2000s and the 2010s leading into the 2020s. There is no way this rate of production can sustain itself over this next decade. At some point in time, we are going to be getting more and more cases of just being absolutely, like, ravaged. More and more cases of productions having issues and delays and setbacks and every other, like, manner of the word to essentially, like, denote and grind down everybody involved in this production. Except the producers, of course. They've done their job. They're, they were able to find work and they were able to find money, especially considering the fact that Studio Mappa is definitely on the map as one of the, like, most consistent animation studios because regardless of the fact on how ragged their animation teams have been running, they're still able to get this, like, this many projects out the door. It is just incredibly concerning because I just can't imagine when everything is just going to not necessarily blow up. It's not going to be a bubble in the sense that every studio, like like the housing crash, it's not going to be like every studio just unanimously says, fuck it, we're not making productions anymore, we are canceling the majority of this, and we are not going to be working for, like, a good, like, 6 to 12 months. The entire industry is not going to be completely thrown to a standstill. It is going to be that a handful of studios are just going to have to sit back, look at their schedule, look at their production staff, and look at like how much time and people that they have to manage and just realize at some point, no, we cannot do this. We cannot fiscally and physically get these projects out 
within the time frames that we've discussed. And we understand that these productions take at least 18 to 24 months, at least, to go through and get these under wraps and get these out the door. But at some point in time, MAPPA in particular is going to have to take a look at this industry and at their workforce and think, we have to stop at some point. But unfortunately, I just believe that underneath Manabu Otsuka, who has gone through many interviews saying, look, this is our job to create the stuff, and it's not our job to stop, it is our job to adapt to the system and adapt to the industry at large to see how we can go through. And they are adapting to a flawed system. And it's going to take a ridiculous amount of failures and effort to push this industry into a more sustainable method and a sustainable system, considering that at some point in time, something's got to give, and the ones who are going to be at the worst of it aren't going to be the companies, and it isn't going to be the anime fans, it is going to be the people that do their damnedest to try and give us their works of art and their works of adaptations and productions to try and make their stamp on this industry and on this part of the world. And at some point in time, for the sake of everybody involved in these productions, I just hope that they'll actually be able to see them more as people rather than cogs in the machine, because they're the ones that need a chance, and they're the ones that need just a second to breathe. I'll see you all next week. Cheers. Thank you.